Welcome to the Rich Roll Podcast, episode 97 with Dan Harris. The Rich Roll Podcast. Hey, everybody. Hello, audience. My name is Rich Roll, and this is my podcast, aptly titled The Rich Roll Podcast. I want to thank you guys for tuning in. I want to thank you guys for telling a friend, for spreading the word, for using the Amazon banner ad at richroll.com for all your Amazon purchases. We appreciate the support. Thank you for all the emails, the social media messages, the posts, the Instagrams, and for just being an important part of what we're trying to do here. We're trying to raise the vibration. We're trying to get this plant-powered revolution message out to the masses, and you guys are everything. You guys are the foot soldiers. You guys are the people that are carrying the word out into the hinterlands, and we thank you. I have a feeling today's guest, Dan Harris, is going to bring some new people to the show. So if this is your first listen, you're new to this, you're new to me, here's a quick breakdown. Uh, I am an ultra endurance athlete. I'm an author. I wrote a book called Finding Ultra. You can check that out if you haven't already. I'm a public speaker, I'm a husband, I'm a father of four, and of course, I'm a podcaster. So what is this podcast? Well, on a weekly basis and for free, always for free, I do my best to bring you guys the best, most forward-thinking paradigm-busting minds in wellness, fitness, athleticism, creativity, diet, nutrition, art, entrepreneurship, personal growth, and spirituality. The people that inspire and intrigue me, the people that are making stuff happen, challenging the status quo, pushing the envelope, rocking the tools, the knowledge, the experience, and the inspiration you need to discover, unlock, and unleash your best, most authentic self. Everyone loves a good transformation story. I had a good transformation story myself, uh, but we like it even better when it's super dramatic and framed to appear like it all went down like some kind of overnight miracle. But, you know, that's just not how this stuff really works, people. Because growth and change are hard. It's a process. Two, three, five, ten steps backwards for every one step forward. Rinse and repeat. It requires time, toil, pain, grappling with your demons, your hardwired patterns, your deeply ingrained perspectives on yourself and the world around you. But baby steps move mountains. It's not about changing everything overnight. It's about exploring and ultimately developing at least some level of mastery over just a few small yet important shifts or even just one aspect of how you spend your time each day. Adopting this approach, a slight shift in your perspective, a little sidestep in your behavior, and you just might be amazed at how impactful this can be on your overall life experience, how you see, how you feel about, and ultimately how you interact with yourself, others, and the world at large. Do this and you just might find yourself 10% happier. And that's what today is all about. Enter Dan Harris. Well, this guy's impressive. He was a young, ambitious journalist. Uh, Dan joined ABC News in 2000, the year 2000, and under the mentorship of legends, Peter Jennings, Diane Sawyer, he quickly rose through the ranks. And today he's co-anchor of ABC News' Nightline and co-anchor of the weekend edition of Good Morning America. This guy's done it all. He's filed reports for World News with Diane Sawyer, also Good Morning America throughout the week, ABC News Digital, ABC News Radio, and for four years he anchored World News Sunday. And along the way, 
This guy's covered huge stories. He reported on the, on mass shootings in Newton, Connecticut, Aurora, Colorado, Tucson, Arizona, and he's anchored natural disasters from Haiti to Miramar to Hurricane, Hurricane Katrina. And he's also uh, been an overseas war correspondent covering combat in Afghanistan, Israel, Gaza, and the West Bank. The guy has made six visits to Iraq. So I think you can gather that this job, his job, is quite the pressure cooker. His coverage of conflict-ridden areas in the Middle East started taking a serious toll on his health. And this is where kind of the story begins for us and where things get really interesting. In 2005, Dan suffered a panic attack on national television on Good Morning America in front of 5 million people. He wasn't sure uh, what was wrong with him at the time, only that he knew he had to make some changes in how he was living. And it was around this time that that uh, there was this bizarre stroke of synchronicity because ABC assigned him to start covering stories on faith and religion and spirituality. And uh, at the time, he wasn't very happy about this. A lifelong non-believer, he was less than thrilled, I guess you could say. But what's cool is it sent him on this bizarre, unexpected adventure into the subculture of disgraced pastors and self-help gurus and a gaggle of brain scientists. And eventually, Dan realized that the source of his problems was the very thing he always thought was his greatest asset, the incessant, insatiable voice in his head, which had both propelled him through the ranks of a hyper-competitive business, but also led him to make the profoundly stupid decisions that provoked his on-air freakout. Look, we all have that voice in our head. It's that thing that has us losing our temper from time to time, checking our emails compulsively, eating when we're not hungry, fixating on the past or the future at the expense of the now, the present, the only thing there is. And I think most of us just assume we're stuck with this voice. This is just who we are, that there's nothing we can really do about it, nothing we can do to rein it in. But Dan stumbled upon an effective way to do just that, get the upper hand. It's a far cry from the miracle cures peddled by many of the snake oil salesmen, self-help swamis he met. Instead, it's something he always assumed to be either impossible or useless. Can you guess what it is? I bet you can if you know the theme of this podcast. Meditation. That's right, people. We're back to meditation. Do you detect a theme here? Anyway, after learning about research that suggests meditation can do everything from lower your blood pressure to essentially rewire your brain, Dan took a deep dive into the underreported world of CEOs, scientists, and even Marines who are now using meditation for increased calm, focus, and happiness. So uh, I first heard about Dan's story when I attended the Mind Body Green Revitalize Summit. He gave an amazing talk, which I will embed in the show notes uh, on the episode page at ritual.com. So check that out. Super entertaining, like 15 minute talk that he gave. And uh, I'm just so excited that I had this opportunity to sit down with him when I was in New York in his office at Nightline and hear all about this adventure close up. It's an adventure that he chronicles in his highly entertaining and illuminating memoir called, you guessed it, 10% Happier. How I Tamed the Voice in My Head, Reduced Stress Without Losing My Edge, and Found Self-Help That Actually Works, a true story. So you should check that book out. using the Amazon banner ad at ritual.com to pick it up or click the hyperlink on the uh, episode page. Um, it's a very cool book. 
It's an easy read. It's a fun read. It really gives you a peek behind what it's like to work uh, at a national news organization, and uh, it's pretty neat. He recounts basically throughout this book how, with the help of various mental health professionals, religious leaders, and self-help gurus, and news industry mentors, how he stopped using drugs, familiar story to me, discovered the benefits of meditation and resolved the apparent conflict between meditation-induced equanimity and the aggressive competitiveness required for success as a TV news journalist. It's a book that takes readers on a ride from the outer reaches of neuroscience to the inner sanctum of network news to the bizarre fringes of America's spiritual scene and leaves them with a takeaway that could actually change their lives. So uh, that's it. Let's get into it. Dan's a great guy. He's super busy. I was so honored and pleased that he took time out of his crazy schedule to sit down with me. So let's step into his world. We're brought to you today by On. I am a total gearhead. I love researching the latest technology for the sports I enjoy. And I've learned that people often overlook apparel, but what you wear isn't just clothes. It is without a doubt, technology. Technology that can make or break a performance. And I can tell you after spending two full days meeting with the apparel wizards at On Labs in Zurich, that On is innovating in this space like no other with next-gen premium fabrics, and just this heightened level of sophistication and precision and testing and development and intentionality previously unheard of that puts them just miles beyond the competition. I've been rocking On's high-performance running apparel, including the long tees, the weather jackets, even the climate jacket, all super lightweight, tailor-fit, built-to-move, and just gorgeous to get you out and get it done in Fleetfoot comfort, no matter the weather. I'm super proud to be a brand partner with this impressive team. From increasing product sustainability to improved energy return and impact protection, truly Swiss innovation at its finest. To get you moving, On is offering an exclusive 10% discount. To redeem, head over to on.com slash richroll and use code richroll10 at checkout. We're brought to you today by Birch. If you're serious about optimizing your sleep, listen up. I've spent countless hours researching and testing various methods to improve my nightly shut-eye, and I can confidently say that it all starts with a good foundation. And if your bed is old, if it's uncomfortable, lumpy, then your sleep inevitably is going to be impacted. So it's important to invest in a quality mattress, one that's insanely comfortable, that's organic, sustainably made, and that, my friends, is a birch mattress. Fair trade and Rainforest Alliance certified with the finest quality organic natural materials like organic fair trade cotton, birch mattresses are made with none of the toxic chemicals and off-gassing produced by most major brands. Kind of important not to be breathing that for a third of your life, I'd say. Plus, it's super luxurious. I've been sleeping on birch for about five years, and I'd say it's the perfect ratio of soft to supportive, and the craftsmanship is just next level. I've got one in every room of my house. I love it. Pretty sure you will too. And right now, Birch is giving 20% off all mattresses and two free eco-rest pillows at birchliving.com slash richroll. 
That's 20% off and two free EcoRest pillows. Sleep better with Birch. We're brought to you today by Seed. Gut health is all the rage. There's good reason for that. I've probably devoted, I don't know, at least a dozen episodes of this podcast to the many, many crucial ways the microbiome contributes to your overall well-being or lack thereof, and to the many diet and lifestyle protocols we should all adopt to promote gut health, from fermented food to fiber and everything in between, including, of course, the importance of supplementing with a probiotic. And the one that I have come to trust far beyond the shenanigans of the supplement world is Seed's DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic. It's the most solid, science-based and rigorously evidence-backed probiotic and prebiotic on the market. Formulated for optimal digestion, gut immune function, gut barrier integrity, skin health. In fact, my 16-year-old daughter has been using it to clear up a significant acne issue and it's been wonderful, as well as many other systemic benefits. Like I said, I've been taking it daily personally for years. I love it. My body loves it. And right now for our listener community, Seed is offering 25% off your first month of Seed's DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic. Visit seed.com slash richroll and use the code richroll25 to redeem this offer. That's seed.com slash richroll or code richroll25. I'm, uh, I make myself look busier than I actually am. Uh, don't believe that. Uh, I don't know. Although it is a little, it looks a little quiet out in the hallways. Though is that a summer thing or what's no? Going it's that on? we're at, we're in my office at Nightline, and Nightline doesn't start getting active until later in the day because we're on mm-hmm. at twelve thirty. Right. So how do you balance Nightline and GMA? Like, are you going back and forth between two yeah. different buildings and two whole different operations? Yeah. So this morning I was filling in on Good Morning America, reading the news. That's uh, that's the person who comes on and does the news updates at the top of each hour. And uh, so I was up at 3.45, and now I'll work here for a couple of hours mm-hmm. just taking care of – I won't anchor the show tonight but because um, we have three anchors for Nightline. So when I'm doing Good Morning America during the week, uh, one of the other anchors will do Nightline. But then I also do Good Morning America every weekend. Right. So it's a pretty topsy-turvy thing. So you're, you're, you're only on air Good Morning America on the weekend, but you have to go over there and you're working there throughout the week. No, no. Uh, I'm only on the air. I'm on the air on the weekends, but sometimes I go on and fill in for one of the anchors during the week, which oh, is see. what I did uh-huh. this morning. So, which is why I'm like in a suit uh, early in the day. Mm-hmm. So, I my responsibility. I don't know if this is interesting to anybody, but uh, I I have a whole wide range of responsibilities and end up showing up on the air in lots of different day parts. Mm-hmm. So you say that you're not that busy, but you got up at 345 this morning. I did. So. I, did. Yeah. <laughs> I would take yeah. issue with that. Yeah. Uh, well, it was really great to uh, hear your talk at the Revitalize Summit, and you probably spent more time traveling to and from there than you actually did at the event. We didn't get a chance to meet because you left shortly after uh, you gave your talk to get back to do Good Morning America, right? Yeah, which is a bummer because it was actually, it seemed like a really cool thing. And I went in, (laughs) I tend to go into some of these things with a bit of a bad attitude because I'm not, you know, traditional. I would never read something on Mind Body Green, most Mm -hmm. likely. Um, 
but the people I met were extremely cool um, at, at dinner the night before and then uh, the morning of the talk. Uh, but unfortunately, I had to get on the plane and go home. Right. Well, we're sitting here today, and uh, I want to talk about your book. But I can't help the fact that uh, right off of your right shoulder, I'm staring at the cover of a book that looks remarkably <laughs> like your book, except it says, instead of saying 10% happier, it says 11% happier by Ron Claiborne. And so uh, maybe I should be sitting with Ron. So uh, Ron, <laughs> Ron is one of my colleagues who's on the weekend Good Morning America uh-huh. show with me. And uh, he's, he's the news reader on the show. I'm one of the hosts. So this may be a little bit uh, in the weeds, the positions. Anyway, he's another guy on the air on the show. And when my book came out in March, uh, the book's called 10% Happier, he did a little bit on on the show where he said, I want to congratulate my Uh colleague Dan Harris for um, his new book, 10% Happier. Uh, No big deal, but I wrote uh, a sequel. It's called 11% Happier. uh, And if you're only going to buy one book, you do the math. (laughs) Uh, And actually, you know, that joke, I could see it. It drove my Amazon rank up significantly. Oh, it did. Yeah. I mean, like <laughs> making that joke on the air did remarkable things. Uh huh. That's very cool. Um, so to get into your story a little bit uh, for people who are uninitiated, uh, I want to hear a little bit about your background and and what led up to um, the famous the famous meltdown on national television. Sure. So uh, I I work at ABC News. I uh, have been here since 2000. And um, before that, I was a local news guy in Boston and in, before that in Maine. And uh, so it's kind of what I've done my whole life. And uh, I when I got here, I was really young and super ambitious. And I was working with like Peter Jennings and mm-hmm. Barbara Walters and Diane Sawyer. And uh, 9-11 happened shortly after I got here, and I, um, as a way to kind of prove, well, first of all, I was, it was a huge story, and uh, I was really curious about what America was, was going to do in response, but I was also eager to, you know, prove my mm-hmm. chops, and uh, so I raised my hand to go overseas, and I spent a lot of time in Afghanistan, and then I covered the second intifada in Israel and Palestine and the West Bank, and... Um, Gaza, and then uh, I spent a lot of time in Iraq. And when I got home after one of those trips to Iraq in July of, or in the summer of '03, I got depressed, and uh, I did a very, very dumb thing, which was that I self-medicated with mm-hmm. cocaine and ecstasy, and uh, that produced a panic attack on live television mm-hmm. on Good Morning America in June of 2004. Um, the doctor explained to me that even though I wasn't doing it every day and it it was you know for a pretty short period of time it was enough to raise the level of adrenaline in my brain and so I was on Good Morning America reading some headlines and uh, I just freaked out Mm -hmm. melted down couldn't talk anymore and had to quit right in the middle of my newscast if you watch it and I know you've seen it Mm -hmm. and I said this at Revitalize it's not like I mean it's embarrassing but it's not like broadcast news and Albert Brooks you know right it's not quite like if you once you know and you watch it you can see what's going on and you can see yourself unraveling but if you were just casually watching it you might not really notice so it's not right yeah you don't have the Albert Brooks flop sweat (laughs) so here's here's why because I had the opportunity to cut it short and toss it back to Diane Sawyer Mm -hmm. and Charlie Gibson who were the anchors of the show if like Albert Brooks I was stuck at maroon as the only person mm-hmm. who was the anchor of the show, it would have been an epic disaster. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it, there's no question that 
um, it was worse in my head than it is on television, but it's not good on television. You can mm-hmm. definitely tell yeah, that that's yeah, a news yeah. anchor who's struggling, which we're not supposed to do. Uh, so, I mean, that was really embarrassing and scary and, and raised all sorts of existential questions about whether I could keep doing the job. In the middle of that, though, in the immediate aftermath of that event, what what happened with your superiors? Like, did you get a dressing down or did Peter come to you? And, you know, he can I know that he, your relationship with him was interesting and he, you know, he doesn't uh, suffer fools lightly. No, he doesn't. You know, uh, for lack of a better phrase, I kind of got away with it because it was so quick. Um, and who knows if Peter was even watching. My bosses were aware and everybody asked, you know, what happened? And I didn't tell the truth. I mean, I knew I had had a panic attack. I didn't know it was drug related. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I basically said, it's no big deal. Uh, it was just a momentary thing. And I was fine. I did another newscast an hour later. And so I think it kind of got, you know, everybody was reassured by the fact that I did fine an hour later and didn't press me much further on, you know, my denials. And mm-hmm. it just was everybody lurched on to the next crisis. In the culture of broadcast news, though, is there sort of uh, this idea that, hey, that happens to everybody once in a while? Or is that highly unusual? Yeah, no, I, I think mean, it, when you're on air that much, yeah. something's going to go down. Yeah, I do think there is a little bit of like, yeah, we all screw up. We all have bad days. And because it ended so quickly, I mean, I don't think it was, t- you know, Nobody real. I didn't say to everybody. Yeah, I just had a panic attack. I don't know if I can do this again. Mm-hmm. So because I, Frank, and I don't, I'm not a proponent of dishonesty. But because I was dishonest, I did kind of get away with it. And then it wasn't until I actually had a second one a year later that I went to a doctor who explained to me, uh, stop doing drugs and you mm-hmm. won't have any more panic attacks. Right. And that uh, was obvious. That was the key <laughs> moment where I realized, okay, so I'm a huge moron. You uh-huh. know, like. Uh, I mean, I'm jeopardizing everything that, you know, at this point I wasn't married. So it was like work was my primary focus. And so I was jeopardizing everything I had worked for. Mm-hmm. And um, so that was really the the moment that sent me off on this kind of strange. Yeah. My, my version of that is uh, getting a DUI and then saying, well, everybody gets a DUI. <laughs> but then six weeks later, getting another one oh, and going, man. well, maybe you should stop drinking, you know? Yeah. So you know, sometimes you got to rally yourself a little bit. You know, it's sort of like the elevator's going down and uh, when are you going to get off? And mm-hmm. everybody has their, their version of that bottom. So so what was the process of then kind of, uh, you know, unwrapping this package and taking a look at what was really going on with you and addressing it? So it wasn't like a neat, it wasn't uh, the way it sometimes, unfortunately, um, you know, the media, the, narrative. the media are terrible. Yeah. And uh, sometimes in the media. Well, this is your fault. Yes. Well, right. Exactly. <laughs> it's been a great hoisting, uh, uh, being hoisted on my own petard here mm-hmm. because I've done a lot of interviews and I've seen my story being written up in places and it's very consistently wrong. And it's often <laughs> yes. written, it's often written as Dan ha- Harris has panic attack, uh, drug-induced panic attack, and Overnight. then and then starts meditating. Not the way it happened. In fact, there was a huge lag between the panic attacks and the meditation. The first thing I did was the shrink who pointed out that, um, you know, idiot, you should stop doing drugs. I, I signed up to see him once or twice a week for a long time. Mm-hmm. But he oversaw my, you know, the quitting of the drugs, and he didn't think it was bad enough that I needed to go to rehab, he, mm-hmm. but he did want me to see him frequently. So I went to see him frequently and we started, you know, untangling some of the issues. Um, and that was very, very helpful. I mean, I really love this doctor. I still see him, you know, not that often, but I still see him once in a while. He read the book and, mm-hmm. you know, to, he read the book before it got published to make sure it was 
you know, kosher from a, mm-hmm. a medical standpoint. And um, what ha- what really happened, the other key factor that came into play was that Peter Jennings assigned me to cover religion for ABC News. And at first it was complete. First of all, I didn't want to do it because um, I'm not I was raised in a very secular background uh, in a secular environment. And I'm I continue to be an agnostic. Uh, and also, at first, none of none of the things that I encountered spoke to me in any way. Mm-hmm. It was all I was hanging around with the evangelicals and Mormons and and Muslims and Jews, and I, I learned a ton and actually realized how ignorant I was on a lot of levels. But none of it really, you know, I didn't adopt any of these faiths. Right. But it was through that that I stumbled on onto meditation. Ultimately, mm-hmm. it's this beautiful irony, though, that you got assigned to cover faith and being the skeptic that that you are, just whatever your you know preconceived proclivities were, uh, that that catalyzed this journey that allowed you to come to this place. It's fascinating. I mean, it's that's the stuff of novels. Yeah, you know? <laughs> I, I love. Did you say it was beautiful irony? Mostly, mm-hmm. mostly in the book. What I realize is that. Time and again, I'm like the anti-blink. You know that Malcolm Gladwell talks about the, the wisdom right. of the, our uh, subconscious minds. For me, the 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 quick decisions that I make are almost always very stupid. Right, you well, know, like just I, pounding on your head for <laughs> endless <laughs> times before you're realizing, like, oh, okay, this is the direction I need. Yes, to go. or you know, it's just like I reflexively write off things. You know, I reflexively wrote off faith. Right, didn't want to do it. I thought it was all just kind of dumb. And, you know, and uh, I reflexively wrote off something like meditation. Uh, I, you know, um, uh, I haven't reflexively written off a plant-based diet, but I'm right. you know, somewhat we're, we're against there. it. Yeah. yeah, this is the first step. <laughs> this is, this is first. my real agenda today. <laughs> <laughs> you do make a good case. I should tell your listeners yeah. that we talked about it before the, the podcast. But anyway, um, so it's, I mean, maybe it's a beautiful novelistic irony, but mostly for me, the way I look at it is that time and again, I'm, I just... I I'm, I'm, I rush to judgment, and then I'm proven wrong spectacularly. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like that. Um, so I want to talk about this immersion into the world of self-help gurus and the evangelical movement and kind of your navigation through the subculture of faith and what that was like. So I covered, as I was saying before, I, like, I covered religion for a while, bef- mm-hmm. uh, and, and with, happily, you know, after my initial reluctance, I realized, actually, this is really interesting, and I have a lot to learn from these people, and I didn't know much. I was pretty ignorant, and I became really good friends with a lot of people of faith, and it really changed my life in terms of being able to understand the way the world works, and that, the, that so many people on our planet view the whole world through this lens, and if you don't understand that, actually, you don't understand a lot about the world. So... That was all great, but then the first time that any of this material spoke to me personally or penetrated my defenses was when one of my uh, colleagues, a producer, recommended I read a book by Eckhart Tolle. Mm-hmm. So I never heard of the guy, uh, but my producer said, uh, you should read it. It's all about controlling your ego, <laughs> which, which yeah. she – so so to uh, me, I thought that okay. was hilarious. I thought she was telling me, you know, I'm an asshole, uh, which, mm-hmm. you know, I, I believe that I am. So I thought that was funny. But actually, uh, what, if you read Eckhart Tolle, you realize that he uses the term ego not as like self-love or, you know, having an inflated sense of your own importance or whatever. He's talking about what you think is you, the voice in your head, the inner mm-hmm. narrator that you take to be you, yourself, mm-hmm. quote unquote. Um, and I actually, and nobody had ever pointed out to me in such a powerful and consistent way that we have this voice in our head. You know, I mean, 
I was vaguely aware of it, but it's this thunderous truism, right? Mm-hmm. It's so obviously true. Yes, we have an inner narrator that chases, uh, chases us out of bed all day and is constantly color commentating on everything and judging and wanting and whatever. Uh, but nobody ever, in the Western culture, it's not often pointed out to you in a big, loud way. Right. And so when I read Tolley's book, I was just like, wow, that's a, that was a big moment for me where I realized that that voice in my head had actually led me to do all the things that I was most embarrassed of, you know, like going to war zones without really thinking about the consequences mm-hmm. and getting depressed. And t- uh, not, not that there's anything wrong with getting depressed, but in my case, I got depressed and wasn't even really aware of it. And then self-medicated blindly with these drugs and, and blew up in my face. I will say, though, that the problem was with Tolly, and I know you've had some experiences with him yourself, that he is... He is, and I have respect for the man, but, and so I'm going to make fun of him respectfully. He, he is capable of saying brilliant things and completely crazy things in the same sentence. Mm-hmm. And so he, what would be a good example of that for you? Uh, well, for example, when I, I ultimately went to meet him, um, he, uh, he said a lot of really smart things. And then at the end I asked him, um, well, he, there were a lot of crazy things too, but one of them was, uh, I said, you know, you, how old are you? You look really young. And he said, well, I'm in my 60s, but I haven't aged since I had my spiritual awakening right. at age 29. So, you know, that, that's not true. Um, uh, you know, so, and also, uh, you know, he talks about the voice in the head, but the big problem is when you ask him, what do you do about it? He doesn't have any actionable advice. Mm-hmm. You know, he told me, I said, what do you do about the voice in the head? And he said, uh, you take one conscious breath, for example. Mm-hmm. Well, what the hell does that mean? I have no idea what that means. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not, to me, helpful advice. Yeah, there's this, uh, I mean, first of all, there is there is this incredibly powerful, you know, sort of epiphany of an idea, the, uh, the distinction between consciousness and the thinking mind. And mm-hmm. that's incredible, right? Mm-hmm. And when you start to explore that, a whole world uh, opens up to you about how to deal with that and manage that. And Tole, the experience that I had that we talked about before the podcast was I had an opportunity to sit down and hear him speak before uh, The Power of Now came out, shortly before it came out, long before the Oprah thing, and nobody knew who this guy was. He just happened to be friends with the yoga teacher or whose yoga class that I went to, and my wife and I, who was my girlfriend at the time, we went and listened to him speak, and... I was not, I was very early in my evolution in all of this, and I wasn't really in a place where I could really hear what he was saying, and I was very focused on just that he was this strange gnome-like man who, you know, I couldn't really kind of connect with emotionally, and I walked away thinking there's a lot of really fascinating, interesting things that he's saying and a lot of true things, but I can't say that it changed my life in any way, and it was kind of many years later before I began to more embrace what he, what, you know, what he is talking about. But there's this dualism, right? And it's difficult to translate that into any kind of practical application that you can take with you and, and implement into your life. And I know that you talk about that in your book. So you're, you're reading about these things that you're identifying as being true, but how can I use them? You know, I'm in the world, you know, I'm not, I'm not sitting in a cave up in the Himalayas. So that kind of led you into kind of a new place with how to explore this, yes? Or Well, right. Well, the first thing was, so I, I, I'm, uh, I met Tolly, and exactly, I had the same, very similar response mm-hmm. to, uh, that you did, which is that he's saying a lot of smart things, but he's also saying a lot of crazy things, and he's also weird. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I didn't know what to do with it. I think I said in the book that um, it was like he had pointed out that my hair was on fire and refused to give me a fire extinguisher. 
so not knowing what else to do and really not knowing anything about this world, uh, this this sort of genre of spirituality, I kind of lurched into the self-help uh, area. Mm-hmm. So I ended up spending a lot of time with people like Deepak Chopra, Wayne Dyer. Um, uh, I covered James Ray, the guy who got arrested and, and convicted of, uh, in the deaths of some of his followers in a sweat lodge in right. Sedona, Arizona. Oh, right, right, right. I remember uh, that. Mm-hmm. So I spent a lot of time looking at that. And what I found uh, in many cases was quite repulsive, which is that people are you know, making a lot of money by telling people that, uh, other people that you can um, solve all of your problems through the power of positive thinking, which mm-hmm. is just demonstrative bullshit. Like, it's not true. Uh, you can't solve all of your problems that way. And, uh, I mean, it just, one has to look no further than a, a any refugee camp. Like, a child born in a refugee camp, does that mean they were thinking negatively in utero? No. Uh, somebody who was caught up in the earthquake in 2010 in Haiti, does that mean all of Port-au-Prince Haiti was thinking negatively and therefore they, they were uh, victimized by this earthquake? That's not true. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, I like Deepak, and Deepak doesn't do a lot of that. But he he was also confusing for a whole other set of reasons. We don't need to go into it unless you want mm-hmm. to. You, uh, you talk about it in the book, though. You yeah, go into some yeah. of those encounters. Yeah, I mean, I think Deepak's a great guy. Actually, I think he's really funny. And but I, I'm not sure. I mean, he he would claim to be uh, both. Uh, kind of a hustler, like a not a hustler in the pejorative, but like a an ambitious, hardworking guy mm-hmm. who also is immune from to stress. And I, just my observations of him, I think he actually does get stressed. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I wasn't quite sure that I thought he was squaring that circle. Anyway, that's just my own personal opinion. He, he, I know disagrees with me. The the point is that I I didn't know what to do after Tolly, and so I spent a lot of time in the self help world, and I, I was kind of depressed by a lot of what I saw, and it was. Only after my wife intervened that I found something that was useful to me. Which I came home one night. My wife gave me some books by a guy named Dr. Mark Epstein, who's here in New York City, which is where we're recording this podcast. And um, he's a shrink, and he writes about the overlap between Buddhism and psychology. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know anything about Buddhism. Um, uh, you know, my I knew the Buddha was fat, and um, <laughs> I knew like they believed in karma or whatever. But I didn't really know anything. As it turns out, the Buddha wasn't fat. That actually is the 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 statues that people call Buddha statues is actually not the Buddha. Why but, is it? Why is he always portrayed as fat? He's, that's not him. It's actually um, a, some sort of misunderstanding. There's a there's a Chinese. It's a huge misunderstanding. It is <laughs> actually if you look if you go to a Buddhist. Yeah center and you look mm-hmm. at the statues of the Buddha, he's not fat. And, the, you know, he wouldn't, historically, that guy, the, the historical Buddha would not have been fat. Mm-hmm. But the caricature... he was probably Buddha, eating a plant-based diet. He, he, he was eating <laughs> two meals a day, one of which right. was donated by the villagers. Mm-hmm. He'd carry around a bowl and whatever they put in it, he ate. Mm-hmm. Um, so he was a bag of bones, no, no question about it. Um, the, I'm not to give a long history on this, but the laughing Buddha that you see smiling and have, having a roly-poly belly, that's actually an ancient Chinese sage who's revered among a lot of uh, Asians. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that has gotten somehow mixed up with the actual Buddha. Right. So anyway, I didn't know much about Buddhism, but I read this book by Dr. Mark Epstein, and I realized, oh, shit, the, all the stuff that I love the most about Eckhart Tolle seems to have been appropriated from the Buddha. He was the guy who was talking about the voice in the head initially. He was talking, he called it the monkey mind. And his argument is that we, 
that their minds are like monkeys and they're lurching through this forest of thoughts and urges and impulses and emotions and constantly clinging to things that won't last and, um, uh, you know, always looking for uh, uh, one hit of pleasant experience in a meal or a sexual encounter or whatever and never fully satisfied by those hits of pleasant experience. And that diagnosis uh, seemed very similar to Tolley's. Uh, but delivered with a you know a lot less uh, proofiness and pseudoscientific mm-hmm. uh, um, stuff, and it was accompanied by a very simple, actionable piece of advice, which was meditation. And now the problem was I didn't want to meditate because I thought that that was only for weirdos and people who like aromatherapy and ultimate frisbee or whatever, mm-hmm. and I, I was not down with that at all. But it was clear advice. Um, and when I learned that meditation has a huge PR problem, is in, and is in fact you know, simple exercise for your brain uh, and that there's a lot of science to suggest that it's really good mm-hmm. for you, I decided to do it. Right. I mean, a big part of it for you was seeing the science that supported Huge. this. Huge. That was able to speak to your sort of, you know, secular, you know, brain. And uh, and I think that, that that PR problem is starting to shift. I mean, when you see what's going on in Silicon Valley, how they've really embraced it and large corporations are implementing these wellness programs and people like yourself are writing these kinds of books, uh, that PR scenario seems to be evolving in a good way. The science piece of it is really interesting because on the one hand, it's huge, it really helps the PR problem. It's the science is the reason why the Marines are doing this now, corporate executives are mm-hmm. doing it, Wall Streeters, pop I just stars. saw an article about prison guards. Prison guards, big time. Mm-hmm. Uh, cops, uh, you know, it's really gone into lots of corners of the culture. But one does not continue meditation because of the science. You know what I'm saying? You, you, the science is, is what you, you get com- interested in the fact that there is the science and you so you try it. And then, but you don't like keep doing it year after year because you think, oh, maybe the fibers in my prefrontal cortex <laughs> are thicker now. You know, you do it because you realize, oh, I'm not reacting automatically and reflexively and immediately to my anger or whatever. Mm-hmm. Actually, no, I notice I'm angry and I uh, can try to respond wisely to it instead of react blindly. And that's a superpower. And that's why you continue to do it. Mm-hmm. You may actually continue to do it because you believe in enlightenment or you think that you can make fundamental changes to the nature of your mind. That's kind of a more esoteric subject, which is also, in my opinion, very, very interesting. But w- the science is like a, a kind of an interesting thing, is just to repeat the point. It's, it, it gets you in the door, but it doesn't keep you in the room. Right. We're brought to you today by recovery.com. I've been in recovery for a long time. It's not hyperbolic to say that I owe everything good in my life to sobriety. And it all began with treatment and experience that I had that quite literally saved my life. And in the many years since, I've in turn helped many suffering addicts and their loved ones find treatment. And with that, I know all too well just how confusing and how overwhelming and how challenging it can be to find the right place and the right level of care, especially because unfortunately, not all treatment resources adhere to ethical practices. It's a real problem, a problem I'm now happy and proud to share has been solved by the people at recovery.com who created an online support portal designed to guide, to support and empower you to find the ideal level of care tailored to your personal needs. 
They've partnered with the best global behavioral health providers to cover the full spectrum of behavioral health disorders, including substance use disorders, depression, anxiety, eating disorders, gambling addictions, and more. Navigating their site is simple. Search by insurance coverage, location, treatment type, you name it. Plus, you can read reviews from former patients to help you decide. Whether you're a busy exec, a parent of a struggling teen, or battling addiction yourself, I feel you. I empathize with you. I really do. And they have treatment options for you. Life in recovery is wonderful. And recovery.com is your partner in starting that journey. When you or a loved one need help, go to recovery.com and take the first step towards recovery. To find the best treatment option for you or a loved one, again, go to recovery.com. Meditation has been a recurring theme on this podcast, dating back to its beginnings. And in conversation always leads people to asking me about the best way to begin. There are no shortage of modalities of resources and apps available. I have experience with many of them, but my mainstay, I have to say, the one that I have found most useful is waking up. It's this unique treasure trove of wisdom that has become so important to my daily routine that the app finds itself right in the dock of my phone for immediate fingertip access. Beyond its robust catalog of daily meditations, it's also this extraordinary library of mindfulness resources that go well beyond the strictures of meditation with courses on stoicism, cognitive behavioral therapy, time management, procrastination, as well as thoughtful conversations with leading scholars on everything from psychedelics to happiness. It really is one of the most worthy investments you can make in yourself. And listeners of the show can get 30 days to try waking up for free. Plus, you'll save $30 on the in-app price. If price is a concern, Waking Up offers the app for free, astonishingly for anyone who can't afford it. You can find the links on their website to get a full scholarship right now. Just go to wakingup.com slash richroll to start your free month today. That's wakingup.com slash richroll. What is the meaning of life? What happens when we die? What is our purpose here? If like me, you ponder these delicious existential questions, I have got just the thing for you. It's called Soul Boom. It's a podcast hosted by everyone's favorite best friend and my friend, the deep thinking and deeply hilarious Rain Wilson, where he communes with intellectuals and entertainers, theologians and philosophers in intimate exchanges that tickle the mind, heart, and yes, the soul. Subscribe to Soul Boom on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts and explore other groundbreaking series at voicingchange.media. So what was it that, uh, I mean, you, you, so you, you're reading Epstein, you're reading about the Buddhism and the Buddha, uh, but what was that first experience of saying, okay, I'm going to sit down and I'm going to try that, like walk me through like day one. Okay, so it was kind of a cumulative thing where I realized, okay, one, meditation does not require lighting incense, sitting in a funny position, chanting things in Sanskrit, uh, or joining a group, or paying fees, uh, that it's actually 
very, you know, it's a simple thing to do. You, mm-hmm. the, the mindfulness meditation, the kind of meditation that's really been studied the most in labs, basically involves trying to watch the feeling of your breath coming in and going out. And every time your mind wanders, which it will a million times, you just forgive yourself and return your attention to your breath. So it's very, very simple. So when I learned that, it was that was one piece of the pie. When I learned that there was a science that showed that it can help with everything from blood pressure to your immune system to rewiring key parts of your brain that have to do with uh, compassion and well-being and happiness and stress. That was another thing. Um, uh, well, let's just leave it there. When I learned those two things, I, I, over time, my resistance broke down. And I was on vacation in the summer of 2009, uh, right after I got married, as a matter of fact. And um, I uh, was reading a book. Uh, by the pool at a house that we're renting with some friends and I was just like fuck it let's just do it mm-hmm. uh, can I say fuck mm-hmm. okay. you say whatever okay. you want um, uh, so I I put the book down and I went to our room I sneaked off to our my the room that I was sharing with my wife and locked the door <laughs> and uh-huh. just did it I did it for five minutes I set an alarm on my Blackberry and did it for five minutes and uh, it sucked you know it was like really hard Um but I realized in that moment that it was kind of a baller ass activity. Like it's really hard to wrestle your mind to the ground, mm-hmm. and um, just like you find running uh, triathlons to be a huge challenge that requires grit um, uh, to be compelling, because the challenge in and of itself is interesting, mm-hmm. uh, and and it pushes you f- further than you beyond your your comfort zone and uh, tests you and also has beneficial effects, I realized this is the same thing. This is the same thing, and actually has potentially, the effects are potentially even much more profound. Um, so I just decided, you know what, I'm going to do this. I'm going to go for it. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to do it five minutes a day in perpetuity, see what happens. And you weren't, other than the, the two principles that you related, there was no dogma around this or kind of super complicated strategy of how you're doing it. Because I think people get really caught up in, well, I don't know how to do it. You know, it's like, I don't understand how this works. And, and I think that that acts as a barrier or an impediment to just, you know, beginning. Yeah, so my whole game now is I'm trying to remove every single excuse you have. So... Uh, the one excuse is that people say, I don't know how to do it, which is actually the, the worst, lamest excuse because you can Google how to meditate. Mm-hmm. And it's like I can I, I explained it once to the tech reporter from The New York Times in fewer characters than it takes to send a tweet. A tweet. <laughs> so it's really simple. Like step one, uh-huh. sit down, close your eyes, keep your spine straight so you don't fall asleep. Step two, try to feel where your breath uh, is coming in. Usually it's your nose or your belly. And just feel the breath coming in and going out. And step number three is every time your mind gets lost – which I guarantee you is going to happen a million times, a million times, you just catch your uh, mind wandering and start again mm-hmm. and start again. And don't and like get again. pissed at yourself because that's happening. Well, that you, you, you happen. may not be able to help it. You may mm-hmm. actually get pissed at yourself, but just notice I'm getting pissed at myself and then start again. Mm-hmm. And that's cool. And over time, what you learn is these waves of anger or self-judgment or an itch on your uh, knee or uh, um uh, uh, pain in your uh, uh, on your back or whatever that these are actually just passing phenomena that you can view non judgmentally and dispassionately and objectively, kind of like journalists are supposed to view the news, mm-hmm. and uh, that is the, the aforementioned superpower, which is that in the rest of your life, quote unquote, off the cushion, 
uh, when you're not meditating and you're overtaken by anger or annoyance or impatience, some percentage of the time, you'll be able to resist. You'll be able to say, oh, I see what's going on here. Mm -hmm. I'm starting to get angry, but I don't need to take the bait. And the bait is when we do the things that we regret most in our life, when we eat when we're not hungry, when we lose our temper with uh, our loved ones, when we ignore our kids when they're uh, trying to talk to us because we're checking our BlackBerry. All the shit that we're, we are most ashamed of is because we're getting yanked around by this voice in the head. This is the kryptonite. And, that, a, and let me, I'm sorry to yeah, yeah, go but ahead. I, it's a massive pain in the ass. I'm not going to lie to you. So I'm not saying, like, you're going to... A, I'm not saying you're going to sit down and meditate and it's going to be super sweet and fun. Um, B, I'm not saying that it's going to turn your life into a nonstop parade of rainbows and unicorns. This is why I called the book 10% Happier. It's a hard thing to do, and it will have benefits in your life, but it's not going to solve all of your problems. Mm -hmm. Right. It, 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 and it brings it back to this idea of this dualistic idea of the observer and the monkey mind, right? Yes. Which kind of brings it full circle back to Tolle. Yes. Right. Because Tolle's not a, wrong. Right. It's just you've it's, this is the practical application of actually getting in touch with yes. that and dealing with yes, it. Yes, yes, yes. Uh -huh. And and the, the but it does raise these kind of um, metaphysical questions because like who's the okay, so we realize we have a thinking mind. Who is the one realizing that we have a thinking mind? And so who is that? And I think the the Buddhist assertion would be that it it's it's an impermanent and um, uh, unsolid formulation, that the self that you think is the ridgepole of your life actually doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. Now, we're getting into esoterica right. here, we're get, but we're getting into metaphysical argument. But it's a very, very interesting thing because you realize the more you meditate that, okay, so uh, I'm watching... The voice in my head. I'm, I'm noticing but the, who's the voice noticing? in my head. Who's noticing, right? <laughs> and so that's the mystery of consciousness, uh -huh. right? That is, uh, it's actually not a complex debate. It's actually quite simple. Close your eyes and listen to sounds, right? And we're not going to do this right now, but just later after the podcast. Say, be, if, on the plane ride home, if you close your eyes and just listen to all the sounds that you hear. People talking, the hum of the air, uh, airplane engine. And then ask yourself, who's hearing them? Mm -hmm. Who's hearing them? You won't be able to find the hearer. So there's hearing going on, but no hearer. Mm -hmm. There's thinking going on, but no thinker. This is the mystery. Like, who's the hearer? We right. don't know. It's and you talked about that as a technique in the book for kind of dealing with the, the ruminations of the mind during the practice. Yeah. Well, actually, you know, to be honest with you, I avoided this stuff in the book because... Um, I'm trying to... Or where I read it somewhere when I was reading. Oh, maybe it was an interview that you did. Yeah, you I've, I've about talked this. about it in interviews, mm -hmm. and um, uh, it, it gets talked about by a lot of the teachers. The reason why I didn't talk about it is because it's actually, it can make your head hurt. It's, uh -huh. it's kind of, in, in, the West, in Western culture, we don't think about the self too often. So... Um, well, we're thinking about ourselves. Yeah, all the lot. time. No, no question. <laughs> yeah. We're thinking about ourselves all the time. That's not a. That is definitely not a, um, a, a metaphysical or philosophical thing. Mm -hmm. It's more just like we're thinking about ourselves. Uh, it's a habitual thing. Um, so I, I actually shied away from it, but I I'm toying with the idea of writing. <coughs> um, I'm toying with the idea of writing another book where I do get more into it. I can guarantee you that that book will not sell. Mm -hmm. <laughs> because it won't be called 11% happier. It will not be called 11% happier. <laughs> and I just don't know how one can make this stuff 
uh, I mean, I find I'm getting really energized talking about it, but yeah. I just don't know if you're average person. Oh, well, I, I'll go down the rabbit hole if you want to. I mean, I can go, <laughs> I can do this all day, but I think, you know, for the, for the listener out there who might be new or, or newly initiated to these ideas, it's sort of like thinking about when you dream, right? And in a dream, you're having a conversation with somebody and that person that you're looking at is saying something to you and you're anticipating it. You don't know what they're saying to you. So who's coming up with that sentence that is being delivered to you that you're not consciously aware of? So it can get tricky, yeah. right? With yeah. the layers of consciousness and unconsciousness. Yeah, these are, these are the great mysteries. We think the great mystery is, and it is a great mystery, you know, who, why are we here and who created us and, and uh, who created the universe? Obviously, that's a huge mystery. But the other big one that we never talk about is who is the who are we? You know, mm -hmm. like who is the I that we take to be uh, uh, not E Y E, but the I that we take to be us? Mm -hmm. You know, who is that? And uh, how is it that we can hear things, but we can't find the person hearing them? Mm -hmm. You know, I just think that's a, an incredibly interesting. Mm -hmm. And nobody has the answer. But the the Buddhist assertion is uh, that the more you look. Uh, the I, 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 your things in your brain will change. Your mm -hmm. mind will change. That you will un you, you will stop clinging so hard to this identity that is the source of your unhappiness. Mm -hmm. And I think just developing as a first step, just a very basic awareness that the looping thoughts in your mind, whether or the stories that you tell yourself about who you are, like oh I'm a, you know I'm an athlete or I eat a plant based diet or I'm a correspondent on new these are just stories right they're not really they're not really real right mm -hmm. they're just and we 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 loop them or like I'm the guy who gets anxious when he has to go and talk to people in a public place or whatever it is we reinforce those over time we give them power and then we look at that and decide that that is who we are and we're not drawing that distinction between the monkey that's really the monkey mind mm -hmm. right and and becoming the observer there's a freedom with that right you can almost sort of uh, unshackle yourself from that and realize that you have a lot more control and power over um, how you respond in a particular scenario. And when we were at Revitalize, I've told this story before, but you had to leave, but Charlie Knowles, who was there, did, he did a couple guided meditation programs and somebody said to him, asked him a question, said, I'm very attached to my anger. Like I, and I feel like in a business context that, you know, when I can conjure up that anger, that actually uh, gets me a positive result from time to time. And so I feel like I need that. And I feel like if I start meditating, I'm, I'm going to lose that. I'm going to lose my edge. And he said something very interesting, which is echoed in your book, which is actually you become, you develop, you develop this superpower. You can still have your anger, but you're having a choice in a scenario of a whole panoply of ways that you can respond to sort of get you from point A to point B, but you're not impulsively just being angry without having control over that. Yeah. You're harnessing the anger rather than it harnessing you and yanking you around. Mm -hmm. um, and I would, I think anger is probably, I would think passion but is a pa better Yeah, word, I mean, anger know? is a bad word because we, we <laughs> you know, ultimately, I think we would be well advised to kind of try to transcend yeah. that. Yeah, but I think what he really means, I'm just guessing here, I think what he really means is passion rather than anger. Mm -hmm. There could be a righteous passion, a belief in the importance and, and, the, and the righteousness of mm -hmm. what you're doing. And that actually, I think, if we're to get super technical about it, is different from anger 
uh, which has sort of an ill will and a hatred component to it, which mm -hmm. I don't think actually feels good or is good in any way. Mm -hmm. um, but you have wisely and skillfully brought it down to the practical as opposed to the esoteric, and I, I'm glad you did that. And I and just to echo what you were and to amplify what you were saying, you know, we we one of the other mysteries is, and this is a related mystery, is we we don't know where thoughts and emotions come from. You know, we. They're coming out of a void. We're not inviting all the thoughts that we're having right now into our head um, or the emotions that arise when bad or good things happen. They just come. And yet we tell ourselves a lot of stories about ourselves based on those emotions. So like your kids are being annoying to you mm -hmm. or your wife's being annoying or your work is frustrating. You start telling yourself the story. Oh, I'm an impatient person. I'm an unkind person. I'm insufficiently compassionate. Mm -hmm. Well, you didn't actually summon... The things, the, these, these emotions or thoughts, they just came up. And so if you actually have this basic understanding, of, well, the basic capacity to see what's happening in your head and the basic understanding that you didn't, you didn't put it there, uh, you're, you're, un, you're unshackled, you're freed in some way to stop wasting your time telling yourselves these unconstructive stories and actually just to deal with the emotions and thoughts as they are. Which are and often the best thing to do is just let it pass. Mm -hmm. So to take it back to uh, kind of the, the timeline here, understanding that that first you're on vacation and you do that five minute meditation. First of all, that was five years after your panic attack yeah. on air. So, it, it you know, it isn't this overnight thing. No. And that was your first time. So how long and you make this commitment, which I think conjures up this really important idea of like making a decision and creating momentum around it. Like you made this sort of declaration like, OK, I'm, go I'm going to do this. I did it once. I'm going to do it. How long after that before you started to kind of really feel results or that something was shifting? Uh, I think there were a couple of, the, 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 there were two things that happened quickly and then the big thing that happened eventually. The, the, the two things that happened quickly were one, and they're very much related. One is I, I, uh, I got better at focusing. Not like amazingly better. It didn't like cure any latent ADD uh, uh, um, in, in me, you know, it, mm -hmm. you know I've, I don't have a great attention span. There's a reason why I got into television. Um, so if it didn't fix that, but it de the, the act of getting lost in thought and then yanking myself back to the, the task at hand uh, every day in meditation just helped me do that more at work. So one. Two, I got better at just, it just made me calmer. You know, there's something about, even though meditation is, can be, or at least the kind of meditation we're talking about now, can be enervating because it's hard. It is actually fundamentally calming to sit down and take yourself out of the rat race for a couple minutes every day. And you just feel a little bit more, for lack of a better phrase, grounded mm -hmm. and calm. But the big thing is, is what we've been talking about already, and that's we haven't used this term, but it is the right term. It's mindfulness. And mindfulness is, uh, well, it gets talked about a lot these days, and I think the word gets used in ways that people don't know what the hell they're talking about, but really the simple definition, one simple workable definition is, it's the ability to see what's going on in your head at any given moment without getting carried away by it. And that's what meditation does for you, at mm -hmm. least this kind of meditation. So, and that's the, the, the superpower that I keep talking about, which is 
you know, you can be uh, overtaken by a wave of anger or sadness or regret or whatever, but you don't need to act on it always. Sometimes you do. You know, there are times when something bad's happening, you got to act on it. But you want to have the ability to respond rather than react. Mm -hmm. And that's the key, this responding rather than reacting. And I found that that's, this has enormous value in personal relations uh, and in a professional context where I can sometimes, sometimes be the calmest person in the room in a high pressure, highly competitive, high stakes environment. And that's just great. Mm -hmm. Do you have a good example of that that you could share? For me, actually, what this is, this is, uh, this is an example that is maybe not exactly what I was talking about, but it's just what's coming to mind right now, which is that I, not long after I started meditating, I got a job as the weekend anchor of Good Morning America. Before that, I had been anchoring the Sunday night newscast. Mm -hmm. So I was doing this kind of very serious, straight-up newscast. And then I got ch switched over to a job where on Saturday and Sunday mornings, I'm kind of the MC of a three-ring circus mm -hmm. uh, of morning show where we're just doing – you know, we do some – we definitely do news, but we also do a lot of, you know, cats and cupcakes <laughs> on the set, you know. <laughs> yeah. And so – and they're all the – and it's not – you know, the, the evening newscast is really scripted. You know, it's all me and a teleprompter, you know, mm -hmm. and maybe there's some correspondence coming on, but they're saying things that we've agreed upon beforehand. On a, on, a, on a morning show, it's like a cast of characters. It's two main hosts. There's a news reader. There's a weather person. There's somebody else coming up, talking about entertainment news. Right, right, right. And everybody, it's unscripted. And, and I don't have full control anymore. And I, I, I reacted to that by kind of contracting. And I was just, I sucked at the job is the, 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 the honest way to describe it. And... Uh, for a long time. And um, ultimately, I found, primarily through the feedback of my wife, that I wasn't using meditation. Uh, it was an opportunity to use what I'm learning in meditation mm -hmm. to be better. And so uh, now what I've found is that if I can stop trying to control everything and just listen to what people are saying, that I can summon the same kind of um, wit that I might be able to summon at, say, a cocktail party mm -hmm. or a lunch with a good friend. Mm -hmm. And uh, because I'm actually listening to what people are saying instead of having some <laughs> preset control, a game for, you know, preset plan for controlling the game. Um, and so if somebody says something that I, you know, I'm uncomfortable with, rather than getting wrapped up in my disapprobation or anxiety over that, I, I can let it pass and just kind of more skillfully, some percentage of the time, lead us out of that conversation and toward the commercial break. Um, and so in this live, unscripted, uh, millions of people watching scenario, I'm not perfect. Look, I screw up all the time um, mm -hmm. and do things that I wish I hadn't done. But I'm much better than I used to be, and I'm much more relaxed and much more like in it in, in the moment, which I, I kind of hate the term in the moment. It, it's... Uh, it's a cliche, but there's I can't think of any better phraseology right now. And and then that's important when you're you know like this morning I, I was on the air for two hours on GMA with all these other uh, Good Morning America with all these other co-anchors and we're having these freewheeling discussions and you know and you want to be like listening to what people are saying well enough so that you can you know come up with something funny or smart to say in response. And that also doesn't violate FCC regulations. <laughs> right. I mean, you're able, essentially what you're saying is you're able to, for lack of a better word, be present so that you can be spontaneous as yes. opposed to all up wrapped up in your head thinking, how am I coming off? People are watching me. Yes, what yes. am I going to say? Yes. And, you know, all that kind and of thing. And those things will come up. You're not, it's not like you're, squ you, you, you know, you can't control what comes up, but you can control how you re deal with it. And so I will have moments of, of, fear or anger or whatever, but I'm just much better at seeing them as they arise and 
and dealing with them effectively. Like, you mm-hmm. know, if you actually sit and watch your mind, it's like this video game of like constant, everything's coming at you fast. But we're mostly unaware of it, right? Um, but if you if you have this lens on what's happening in your head, you can see, okay, that's a, just a bolt of fear or a bolt of anxiety, but it's not yanking you around as much. Mm-hmm. And you're able to kind of navigate it, surf it, as you will, as you, as you would, I don't as know, it would. Would, as, <laughs> as it were, that's what I went to right. say, surf it, and so that you're, you're riding it and it's not pummeling you. And so, yeah, it's true that on the air, there are some times where I'm like, oh, what the hell am I going to say now? Or I can't believe I just said that. Or, or I just suddenly become acutely aware of the fact that millions of people are watching. But I don't have to let that take me down mm-hmm. um, all the time. Right. I mean, in certain respects, it's like a, it's a modern day path to, you know, becoming this Jedi Knight. Yes. Like you really develop yes. these powers that, that really give you the, an ability to navigate whatever situation you are in in an incredibly astute way. Uh, but it does involve some level of surrender, surrendering your logical mind, despite whatever you can read all the scientific studies, whatever, right? But you're still kind of having to give it up a little bit. And I think that what comes into play with this, particularly for men, is that that's very uncomfortable, right? Like this is sort of a threat to masculinity. And, you know, women have no problem with this, but I think it's a lot harder for men, um, you know, professional men to embrace this idea. And I think why your book is so powerful is because you're com- you're allowing yourself to be vulnerable. You're talking about your mistakes and your life path, and you're coming at it from this highly skeptical point of view as somebody who's, you know, turned the dial in the other direction. So I, I'm interested in how you can kind of speak to that issue for somebody who's like, it's like the idea for a man to like sit down and it, it's a vulnerable feeling and we're not really kind of trained to be okay with that. You know, I don't think you have to, and I could be wrong about this, so I'm just kind of working this out. I don't think you have to suspend your logical mind so much as, I mean, the-, the, the But med- you're, t- the- you're, you're taking a leap of faith because you're like, all right, I'm doing this because I think this will improve my life. Yes, And, and it's, sure. it's not a tangible thing that you can, like, see. Right. But you're taking a leap of faith in some ways every time you hop on a treadmill, right? Like, you're like, mm-hmm. this sucks. And at minute 29 of your 30-minute run, you're but like, But you can I see your gut going down yeah, over time. Yeah, yeah. You can see the muscles getting bigger when you lift the weights. Oh, but you'll see it with meditation, too. Mm-hmm. You, won't, you won't be able to see, obviously, your muscles getting bigger. Mm-hmm. But you'll no, you will notice and the people around you will notice. Like, I don't know anybody who's meditated and actually given it a shot who's like, yeah, it actually didn't work for me. The only times I've heard from people who say, I can't meditate or it didn't work for me, are the people who tried it once or twice, realized how hard it was, and told themselves this story which a lot of people tell themselves, which Mm -hmm. is meditation may be good, but you don't understand I can't do it because my mind Mm -hmm. is somehow uniquely busy. Bullshit. Not true. Welcome to the human condition. That's the way every mind works. Meditation is hard for everybody, even the monks in the Himalayas. It's hard. There's just no two ways about it. And so is going to the gym. And if you go to the gym and it's easy, you're cheating. And if you're meditating and it's easy, you're either dead or enlightened. (laughs) And so don't, that excuse is not operative. Um, But, Anyway, your question was something about the, for, for men, and, and so you're, you are taking a leap of faith. And I think in some ways, it's not like you're, Buddhism or a meditative philosophy is like hyper-logical. In fact, super, super interesting. The Buddhists are making all these, they're like the chemists, uh, as a friend of mine have, has once said, the chemists of the mind. They put together 
these long lists, almost like the periodic table of elements for the mind. You know, mm-hmm. the seven things that uh, the seven things you can do in order to be enlightened. The you know the the four things that will happen to you if you do X kind of meditation. They're they're just really 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 logical and hyper hyper detailed. But what you are doing is setting you are taking a, a step back from your thinking and you are realizing that the thinking that you are clinging to all the time as the you that's in control is actually just, you know, a voice that may or may not be correct. Mm -hmm. Um, And so maybe there's some fear around that, but I actually think where the real fear comes from is closing your eyes and seeing how nuts you are. Right. And You actually have to look at yourself. Yes, but it's not like you're looking at yourself in some maudlin uh, picking, you know, shrinks office kind of way. And I got no problem with shrinks, but this is different. This isn't psychoanalytical. You're not like sitting down and like sorting through your feelings. You're actually sitting down and seeing what the feelings are dispassionately. So you're not like looking for like what were your mommy issues necessarily. You're more like just noticing what comes up when I sit down and how can I navigate it and manage it from a distance. Mm-hmm. So it's really not touchy-feely. In fact, it's the opposite of touchy-feely. I think actually psychotherapy is a very good thing. It can work extremely well in conjunction with meditation because, as a friend of mine has said, who, a friend who is a shrink has said that psychotherapy often gives you understanding without relief. Mm-hmm. And the meditation can help with the relief mm-hmm. because you can understand what your problems are and what your, what your triggers are, and then meditation can help you not be triggered. Mm-hmm. Um, sorry. No, yeah, so... so- so then what is it that makes it so uh, uncomfortable? For, I, I mean, I'm, try, I'm trying to get at this idea. Like, I think it's, re- it's a really easy sell for a lot of women, uh, but it's a, it's a much tougher sell for a dude, right? And I think, it, I think it does go beyond this idea of like, oh, well, you have to look at yourself. Like, I think that it, it does bring up issues of masculinity and kind of, you know, vulnerability. Well, well look, I... I you, on the vulnerability thing, you may be pointing out something that I'm unable to crystallize right now under the gun. Mm-hmm. But I will say the reason why I think most men don't want to do it, just in my view, is that the way it's been presented, meditation, in our public discourse has been like wussified. Right. You know, it's just presented in the, right. every, the way people talk in the meditation world. It's as if they, their voice, the timbre of their voice is as if they're trying to like give you a Reiki massage with their voice. Right. It's annoying. And they <laughs> yeah. use language like sacred space and the earth mother and, uh, you know, holding your love, your emotions with tenderness and all this stuff. It's just talked about in a very, very specific way. And I got no beef with that. I think it's actually helped a lot of people and actually can be very helpful to talk in that way. But it's off-putting to a lot of people and it leaves too many of us out of the conversation. So that's a huge problem and I think it's why a lot of men would never do it. And by the way, I think also a lot of women. Um, The other thing is because it's just hard. It's just hard. Mm -hmm. And uh, I hear all the time from people who say, I can't do it. But that's bullshit. Mm -hmm. You know, you can, it's like, it's as if somebody came up to you at the gym and said, it, well, if somebody came up to you at the gym panting and sweating and said, I can't exercise because this happens to me, that is the exercise. <laughs> right. So if you sit down and you're finding yourself pelted by a lot of annoying thoughts, you're meditating. Mm-hmm. That's the Yeah, deal. I think, yeah, the idea is that if that's happening, then you're not actually doing it right. Correct. But, but that not, is the doing. You're not trying to reach some special state. Maybe you will, but for years down the road, or if you're enlightened, you will reach some special, some, you know, um, 
imperturbability, some, you know, unbreakable equipoise or whatever. But that's not going to happen to most of us. Most of us are going to sit down and it's going to suck. It's going to be like you're going to be thinking about lunch or your to-do list or whether you need a haircut. And you're going to have to catch yourself doing that, which is often embarrassing, and return your attention to your breath, which can be boring and 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 tedious. Mm -hmm. But it's it's a bicep curl for your brain. And it shows up on the brain scans. It changes your brain. And you're developing all sorts of healthy, healthy new connections in your brain that will make you uh, less yanked around by your emotions, better able to focus, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, and also the, the health implications of, like lowering your blood pressure Huge. and your Huge. hormonal changes and all sorts of things. Not to mention, this is no small thing. It will make you nicer. Mm -hmm. And that is actually the point. Um, I don't lead with that because I think a lot of, you know, it can sound a little like I'm um, uh, um, sermonizing or, or moralizing. Um, but you can't help, in my view, and this is some people disagree with this, but in my view, you can't help but sit down and look at your own mind and how crazy you are with that. And then over time, you're going to start understanding everybody's like that. Mm -hmm. I mean, you're going to see somebody going apeshit at the airport or whatever uh, at the at the airport counter, and you're going to, and you know, you may feel you may get a twinge of self righteousness, like I don't do that anymore. <laughs> but you will, in part, also feel like I know how poisonous that feels, mm -hmm. and I feel bad for them, you know, and, and not in a self, and not in a, and again, in, at its best, not at a uh, in a judgmental way, but in a, an em empathetic way, like that sucks. Mm -hmm. It sucks to be losing your temper, mm -hmm. um, and um, and I find that actually. Being more empathetic, being a better listener, and um, being having better relationships with everybody in my life feels good, cuts down on, on the amount of rumination and regret, and makes me more effective. Mm -hmm. How has it affected your marriage? In a very positive way. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we had a good marriage going in, um, but I was a huge pain in the ass. You know, I, I was taking my stress home with me from work in ways that were totally not constructive. And... When we had fights, I was, you know, reacting immediately and reflexively and automatically to my anger as opposed to just, you know, having the enlightened self-interest mm -hmm. of, of not, you know, flying off the handle and saying things that I was going to be paying for for two weeks, you know, afterwards. Um, granted, if my wife was here, as I think I said at Revitalize, if my wife was here, she would give you the 90% still a moron lecture, mm -hmm. you know, like she doesn't think I'm perfect <laughs> at all. You know, we just got back from a two week vacation. She could give you a long list of the really, really annoying things I did while we were on vacation. And that's all totally true. I cop, I cop to that. Um, it's just better than it was. Right. And it gets better all the time. You know, she's pregnant now. And so, oh, nice. um, yeah, thank you. And we've worked, it's been a battle and, you know, um, it's hard to be pregnant. Mm -hmm. Um, and, I'm, I am, I know, and I know that she would agree with this, um, I'm handling this much better. You know, I'm being much more accommodating, much more understanding um, now than I would have before. Right. In, uh, in recovery, there's an adage that says you don't ever want to go through a scenario like a sort of monumental kind of episode in your life and look back on it when you're on the other side of it and go, I wonder what that experience would have been like if I was really like 
dialed in with my recovery program, like instead of going through it as a dry drunk or what have you. And I think that that could be highly applicable in the meditation context too, to say, oh, I'm going to, you know, I have to navigate, you know, the passing of my father or whatever it is kind of episode in your life that can trigger a lot of stress or is just an emotionally charged situation to get on the other side of it and go, I wonder what that experience would have been like if I had been actively engaged in a meditation practice throughout. And to kind of reflect on that and realize that, oh, you know, we have choices and more control over how we kind of respond and, and engage. Yeah. You know. Absolutely. Um, All right. Sorry, go ahead. So go ahead. I don't, were you finishing? No, I was just going to say that, that in the case of dealing with a significant other, that um, it really can help to to, you know, we're all the stars of our own movie, you know, mm. and some of us more so than others. But for people like me who ha- are on, you know, who have the tendency to get wrapped up in their own bullshit, it really can help to disentangle and actually, you know, see things through other people's eyes and uh, recognize that they have stressors they may fully understand or may not. Um, and uh, it just makes the relationship more rewarding for you and much better for them and that's an upward Mm -hmm. spiral right 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 you are listening to this podcast because you care about improving your health and your well-being but this quest is incomplete if you have yet to add my friend dr rangan chatterjee's feel better live more podcast into your listening quiver an RRP favorite, and someone I'm personally quick to call when I'm in need of good advice. From nutrition to mindset, fitness, and relationships, each episode is packed with the tools you need to become the architect of your health. Subscribe to Feel Better, Live More, available wherever you get your podcasts, and explore other groundbreaking series at voicingchange.media. There are certain rare people who have a powerful voice and know how to use it. My friend Amanda Decadene is one such human. The podcast is called The Conversation because it is the conversation, a groundbreaking series of raw and honest exchanges on the issues that matter most. Mental health, sex, politics, ambition, gender roles, and more. Listen to The Conversation wherever you get your podcasts and explore other groundbreaking series at voicingchange.media. There is so much health information out there. It can feel overwhelming and leave even the most well-intentioned confused about what's what and who to trust. Well, the first person that I call when I'm seeking clarity is my friend and nutrition expert, Simon Hill, host of the fantastic podcast, The Proof. Each week, Simon matches wits with brilliant scientists, translating their evidence-based insights into actionable tools for better well-being. Subscribe to The Proof, available wherever you get your podcasts, and explore other groundbreaking series at voicingchange.media. I want to um, kind of, before we, before we sign off, leave people with a couple tips like, okay, I'm sold, right? Like, right. I'm, I'm ready to do this. I've been dragging my heels on it. I want to get going. You kind of talked about what your first you know, sort of meditation experience was like, but, 
you know, maybe you could relate a couple simple practices or some tools to kind of, you know, pepper throughout your day when stuff comes up to help people kind of kick it off and begin. Well, in terms of starting a meditation habit, um, I think the first thing to do is get and, you know, read a good, like a good book or mm-hmm. like find some good instruction. Like 11% happier. Yeah, 11% happier is an awesome book. <laughs> yeah. Uh, actually, I don't. For kicking off a meditation habit, I don't. I wouldn't necessarily say. You know, you could read mine. There, mine's mostly a memoir, right. but there are meditation instructions in the back. So, if you want to read like a, a maybe amusing story about like uh, a TV reporter who starts to meditate, fine, read my book. There's also you can get rock solid meditation instructions in the back. I say rock solid because they were reviewed by people who actually know what they're talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, so that you can do that. Or there's a book called Real Happiness by Sharon Salzberg, which is, um, and she's totally cool and um, very much, very legit. And she is, uh, and that's a very simple book. I gave it to my mom, who is a scientist at Harvard and a very skeptical person who, when I was eight, explained to me that there uh, is not only no God, but also no Santa Claus. Um, but is this the it, same mom that put you in the yoga class yes, where they had to? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so she was, da- she was down with touchy-feely stuff, but not uh-huh. down with, like, um, religion. And so Buddhism for her was a tough sell. Um, and, and again, you don't have to be a Buddhist to meditate. Um, anyway, so she read the book and started meditating right away. And so Real Happiness is a very good book, and I, I, I think that's fine. Or if you don't want to read a book, there's a very good app. It's called Headspace. It's run by guys who, two guys, uh, Brits who live in L.A., uh, and they're really cool. And, they, and Headspace has been adopted by lots of corporations like the Westin Hotel chain and Virgin mm-hmm. America and uh, Virgin Atlantic, et cetera, et cetera. And those guys, like the guy who, who's the voice on the app is a former circus performer who's like a really good-looking, cool uh, 40-year-old uh, British guy who looks like, as the New York Times said, he looks like a, stroker, a soccer striker. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and so I totally recommend that. So there's a couple ways to get started right there. So read a book, get a general idea of how simple the instructions are, but also some of the theory. Um, and then two, commit to doing it five minutes a day. Mm-hmm. Five minutes. We haven't, scientists haven't worked out the dosage question. We don't know for sure what the maximum, the minimum amount you can do to develop some sort of benefits. But I've asked all sorts of scientists and all sorts of teachers whether it's okay to just recommend doing five minutes a day. And everybody I've talked to has said that's a great idea because it takes away your excuse. One of the big excuses, which is I don't have time to do this thing. You do, you definitely have five minutes a day. Everybody's got five minutes a day. Mm -hmm. No matter how busy you are, you've got five minutes. And do it right when you wake up, right before you go to bed, right when you're pulling your car into the driveway, before you go in at night, five minutes. And I think that is enough to change this relationship with the voice in your head. And uh, you may find that it goes up over time, or maybe not. I think a five-minute-a-day habit for the rest of your life would be awesome. And for you specifically... Uh, because we talked about this before the podcast, that where you sometimes get into it for, you know, 20, 30 minutes mm-hmm. a day, but then sometimes drop off. I think if you commit to doing five, no matter what, mm-hmm. there's a power in the dailiness of it mm-hmm. that is stronger than doing one hour a week. Yeah, I think it's the consistency is really the key to the Huge. kingdom. What you need is the daily collision with the asshole in your head, because then uh, you are, it's always top of mind. It's always close to the top of mind that this this nonstop conversation you're having with yourself is illusory, is you know isn't necessarily the whole truth, mm-hmm. and uh, you then can have some distance from it. So one again, just to recap, two steps here: one, find a good book, read it, just learn the basics, uh, or get the app, uh, the Headspace app, and two, just say, tell yourself you can do five minutes a day. 
give yourself a break. That's it. That's all you need. And I think that's enough to get you started. Um, any more than that, I feel like we, we can talk about more practical tips, but those are really the two biggies. Mm-hmm. Great. All right, man. Well, uh, thanks for talking to me. I, I, I could talk about you this should. all day. My we pleasure. can keep going. <laughs> you have <either> more questions, <laughs> no, don't mad at me. I don't want to take up too much of your okay. time. So I appreciate it. Um, the book is uh, fantastic. Congrats on all the success with it, by the way. Uh, it must, must be fun for you. It's, you go on this you know, journey. You've written a book, so you know how lonely mm-hmm. it is. And so, like the, I expected nobody to read it, um, and I don't know if anybody's read it, but if a lot of people have bought it, and well, so it says I'm New York Times that. bestseller right there on the yeah. cover. So I think yeah. a few people read it, Isn't unless pretty, you bought all the copies yourself. Well, that that, that I wouldn't put it out. <laughs> I, I wouldn't put it past me. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, it's pretty obnoxious to put that on the cover. Uh, uh, but I'm, I'm not. A, I wouldn't put that past me either. No, man, it's, it's been great. awesome to, to 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 write the book, and then to, that I really. I care about the subject, and to have people also care about it, mm-hmm. it's huge. It's the most meaningful professional thing I've ever done, and maybe even the most meaningful thing aside from getting married that I've ever done. Mm-hmm. Well, I think uh, the the greatest power in the book for me is just uh, that you allowed yourself to to be vulnerable and to approach this subject that is a tricky subject with a skeptic's mind and 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 you were able to kind of have the courage to tell your story and to and to talk about things that you know are embarrassing you know and I know that when I was writing my book that the only way that my book would really be personally meaningful to me was directly related to the extent to which I, I would have the courage to be able to talk about some of those things. But I do remember, and, and, and I did that, and the only way I was able to do that is to imagine that I was writing in my private diary that no one would read. And I'd have these momentary flashes of the book being in a, in, you know, at Barnes & Noble, and I would have a panic attack, my own private panic attack, and be unable to write for days. Uh, but, but I've realized that you know that has been the power in the book, and it's not easy. And I remember when I when I kind of sent um, my manuscript into the publisher, I looked at my wife and I said, "I hope this isn't the biggest mistake that I've ever made, you know, in my life." It's a scary, scary feeling. So, but it's also it's beautiful, and you've you've executed this um, really, really well. And so, I just want to thank you for writing the book. I think it's it's helping a lot of people, and it's it's doing a lot of good. So, I hope you keep writing on this subject. Thanks, man. So the book is. 10% Happier, How I Tamed the Voice in My Head, Reduced Stress Without Losing My Edge, and Found Self-Help That Actually Works, A True Story, right? And uh, you can get it on Amazon. Uh, you can use the uh, Amazon banner ad at richroll.com. That helps out the show. So we appreciate it when you guys do that. And uh, if you guys are down with Dan, you can find him on Twitter. He's at Dan B. Harris, right? And uh, other than buying his book, you should watch him on television on the weekends on Good Morning America, <laughs> occasionally throughout the week. And on, on Nightline, are you Nightline every night? What's the Nightline agenda? Uh, there are three Nightline anchors, so we split it up. Uh, so we, you know, I do it a couple times a week, and then mm-hmm. I do Saturday and Sunday mornings. And yeah, yeah, we need the ratings. Definitely watch us. Right. Are you, got, are you working on some cool stories right now that yeah, you're excited about? Always, always, always. Um, uh, I'm trying to think if there's one particular thing I should tell you about real quick. Um, uh, yeah, we're actually going to do a big investigation into, uh, I can't say much about it. We're going to do a big investigation into prison gang. Mm, wow. Interesting. Yes. Cool. All right. Well, we'll be looking forward to that. Cool. And, uh, is there a website for yourself or the book too? Or uh, Facebook, I, 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 Dan, Facebook. if you go to Facebook, Dan Harris, ABC, mm-hmm. cool. and, and everything's on there. You can get the book and see whatever stupid shit I'm talking about. And right blah, 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 blah. All right, man. We did it. Yes. It was a pleasure. Thank feel you. Feel okay about it? I feel great about Anything it. Anything else you want to say? 
Thank you. Other than <laughs> right. that, no. All right, man. Thanks, Dan. Appreciate it. Peace. Plants. All right, you guys, that's our show. Hope you enjoyed it. Dan's a super cool cat. I appreciate him being so forthcoming and uh, bringing his great message to you guys. If his uh, ideas around meditation and how you can implement it into your life resonates with you, don't forget to pick up his book using the Amazon banner at richroll.com. You also might want to check out our meditation program, Jai Release. You can find that at richroll.com in the product section. It's a guided meditation program. It takes all the guesswork out of it. It's a series of MP3s. You can just pop in your earbuds and it takes you through a really awesome practice that uh, takes the thinking out of it. You just have to follow along. It's pretty cool. Julie recorded it. It's amazing. If you're feeling stuck in your life, if you have goals, but you don't know how to set about achieving them. You might want to check out my new online course at Mind Body Green. It's called The Art of Living with Purpose. It's all about how to properly set and achieve goals, among other things. If you're looking to get more plant-based in your life, you can check out my other online course at Mind Body Green, The Ultimate Guide to Plant-Based Nutrition. Both of these courses are hours of online streaming video broken into five to 10-minute little nuggets with an online uh, interactive community, a ton of downloadable tools and helpful information. So check that out. Of course, go to richroll.com for all your plant power provisions. we got the new Run RRP t-shirts, the homage, the tip of the hat to Run DMC. I love these shirts. They're cool. We're going to be coming out with a tech tee running version of that soon, but uh, I dig that. And you can rock your affiliation with the show and help spread the word by sporting that around town. We also have our nutrition products, Jai Repair, Jai B12, and our Ion products, the elect- our new electrolyte replacement supplement, our plant-based protein product, Jai Repair, B12, of course, very important whether you're on a plant-based diet or not. We got other garments, other t-shirts, we got caps, we got beanies, we got signed copies of Finding Ultra, so look up all that good stuff. You want to support the show, of course, like I keep saying, just tell a friend. That's the best way. That's the main way. And of course, use the Amazon banner at richroll.com. You can also donate to the show on a weekly, monthly basis, one-time basis, any amount you want. Thank you so much for everybody that's been doing that. And thank you for those that have been sharing your experience of the show on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter and all that good stuff. Don't forget to tag me so I can share it, so I can comment on it. I love that stuff. And if you've been listening along, you know my newest obsession is Snapchat. Uh, Snapchat is a new sort of social media platform that allows you to put together short little videos and share them with everybody under my story. And I've been doing that. I've been playing around with it. It's a really fun way uh, for me to uh, have little, you know, basically make spontaneous videos of what I'm doing throughout the day, whether it's training or nutrition oriented or podcasting or just a daily slice of what it's like in our household, uh, being a dad, doing stuff with the kids, stuff like that. So if you're into it, download the the Snapchat app uh, in the app store for your mobile phone and follow me there. My name there is I am Rich Roll, I-A-M Rich Roll. And uh, that'll be a good time. All right, that's it, everybody. Until next week, get off your butt and just do that five minutes of meditation in the morning, like Dan says. Five minutes. Everybody has five minutes. Don't make it 20. Don't overcomplicate it. Don't overthink it. Shut off the brain and just do it before your day 
intervenes with everything that you're doing, just take that five minutes shortly after you wake up, set the tone for the rest of your day, and then watch it unfold in a better way. I promise you. All right. That's it, everybody. See you next week. Peace. Plants. Yeah.